Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host, podcast producer, and sports writer for the LSJ. To quote early century rock band Stained, it's been a while since we last convened, April 29th to be exact. But starting today, we'll be back on our regular weekly schedule, and perhaps even two times a week. We'll see how that comes out down the road. To my left, at least on my Microsoft Teams screen anyway, a man who spent the last four months since we last recorded turning himself into Slim Sparty, it's Freak Beat writer Chris Solari. Chris, you look good, my man. Well, thanks, but um, I'm worried about now we're going to have to pay royalties. <laughs> I mean, you can't be just busting out songs like that without thinking about the royalty factor here. Look, you know, yeah. And, 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 the, and the ear factor. I'm, I'm, a, little, I'm a little frightened. I mean, I could have done the entire chorus, but I just I saved myself for three words, so it should be we should we should be okay. Royalty rise and everything else. Now, if I had done some Slim Shady and Eminem rapping on top of that, maybe 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 we start looking at a little bit more. The fair use doc. <laughs> exactly. And to my virtual right, a man who instead of slimming down participated in the summer food tournament that we did here at the State Journal. It's LSJ Sports columnist Graham Couch. Graham, how are you? I'm good. And by the way, I I also played basketball last night with an intense, <laughs> talented group of, uh, of men in, in a really cool barn for two hours. So that's the sort of sweats I'm putting in, man. Yeah, I played softball last night on Belle Isle, and yeah. that uh, my legs feel it today a little bit. Not, not quite in the shape as I was five years ago when I last played. Well, I wish I could jump, here, jump in here and say I did a sport myself, but uh, I have done nothing of the sort uh, over basically the entire summer, really. So I will say that my my last athletic memory of Phil is uh, him rounding third base and biting it on the way home in the upper of the LSJ softball. Hey, right? hey, hey, that, that was I, hey, that was 2018. I played the entire 2019 season for the record. Thank you very much. With without a fall. Uh, to my recollection, not a fall. But as I always joke, right. uh, uh, just a lot of a lot of meek ground outs to the shortstop was basically my 2019 LSJ softball season. You describe my entire baseball career. <laughs> Sweet. All right. Well, since it's been so long since we have gathered here, let's just kind of get into it uh, right away. We're going to cover a couple different topics here today. We're going to talk about Imani Bates, the five-star basketball prospect who at one time was committed to MSU and uh, then decommitted, and now he is going to Memphis. And then we'll also talk about Michigan State's athletic director search. And then we'll spend a, most of this podcast talking about, of course, Michigan State football. We are we are eight days away from the Spartan season opener against Northwestern, so we have plenty to talk about that. But as I said, first off, let's start with Bates. Uh, yeah, on Thursday, on Thursday afternoon, late afternoon, early evening, Bates finally committed to Memphis after what's been a, <laughs> a lengthy, lengthy recruiting process. Where in April of 2020, he committed to Michigan State and then decommitted roughly a year later. And now he is, uh, and now he's going to Memphis. And classes start in Memphis this week, I believe, either this week or early next week. So that's been kind of a quick turnaround for him. Uh, Chris, this has been quite, quite the saga. And uh, I guess now, if it's time for, if, if you guys have the inside dish, I say now is the time to spill the tea on all this, all this bait stuff. I don't know how much inside dish there is. I mean, listen, this is a kid who has a bright future ahead of him in basketball in one way or another, and. You know, clearly there there was a disconnect at some point with Michigan State, whether it be on his end, whether it be on their end, possibly on both. Um, you know, I think a little bit of what we've seen over the course of the last year, is, as disruptive as it's been, and you know, I know that Bates had some things going on uh, behind the scenes personally that you know he he had talked about to one media outlet, um, but I, I think a lot of the generational LeBron type. Uh, comparisons have kind of 
wiped away a little bit as he got out and, and played the national scene and and really showed the flaws that you know that any 17 year old's going to have in his game. Uh, most, I'd say, 99.99 percent of of 17 year olds are going to have flaws. I mean, not everybody is LeBron. There's a reason why LeBron was such a special talent. And it's not fair to, to put kids in that position. But what I think is interesting is that he didn't go the G League route. To me, that was the one thing, even when he committed to Michigan State, that I had heard people saying, regardless of the rules, they obviously created that Ignite team, which really just destroyed the rules. And honestly, there probably shouldn't be a rule anyways for age uh, for these sports when you have 16-year-old Dominican kids coming over here and playing in small towns around America and you say that that kids who who were born and raised here can't. I mean, there's you, there's there's something that in basketball that there's a disconnect with that. Um, and, and it's good to see that that's slowly starting to erode a little bit because these kids should be able to turn pro whenever they want if they have that ability. So, uh, you know, it, it, the Memphis situation, I mean, obviously he linked up with with Jalen Duran. You know, they, they seem to have kind of that. Uh, well, going back to LeBron, they have that that sort of LeBron, D Wade, and Chris Bosh type mentality of, of going to Memphis. They've got, and listen, I don't think that there's any secret that when you see Penny Hardaway, Larry Brown, and Rasheed Wallace on a staff, that that kids, particularly their parents who know who those guys are, and and as players and coaches are gonna gonna gravitate toward them. So, I don't think there's any love lost with Michigan state. I, I think that was just a situation to me where it was, you know, it's time to move on and, and refocus our efforts. And, and quite honestly, you know, personally speaking, it's going to be a circus and I'm glad we don't have to cover it. Graham. This is reason number 342. Why we shouldn't call things commitments, right? It's a pledge at one point. It's a lean, uh, and just another person who, who, uh, said he was going somewhere and didn't. I don't fault high school kids from that. It's the, they're used to it. They know when they commit, it doesn't mean anything. They don't really have to follow through. And, I, you know, it's one of those things. MSU got something out of this for a while. They got the, I, you know, the notion that he had chosen them. And I, I think there's some value in that. I also think the ideal situation for MSU with Bates, and also he may wind up playing at MSU. And I'll say it like this. Bamani Bates is clearly an unpredictable kid. And right now, based on the NBA rules, there's two years before he can play at the next level. Now, he may do two years at Memphis. He may do one year at Memphis, one in the G League. He may do one at Memphis and be unhappy and things don't go well or whatever and then decide he'd rather play another at MSU. Who knows what this kid will do? I, I, I don't, you know. What's interesting about his recruitment with MSU is I always felt he was better suited to join the team in 2022 than now. Like I, 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 I'm not saying you don't take him. He's a, he's a unbelievable talent, but I'm not sure that they really love the uh, mix of guys and the chemistry they have right now. And without him, you can kind of see how this team takes shapes and roles for guys like Gabe Brown and Max Christie and how this all might look. And you let those guys, I always thought it was best if he came in 2022 that you sort of, you have this run uh, this year with young guys developing who they are going to be, their identity as college basketball players with a veteran guy like Gabe Brown having his moment, things like that. And then you insert uh, an Imani Bates type talent into something that's a little more solidified. Whereas if he started with this group, I'm not sure it all winds up being a happy group anyway. I'm not sure all these guys would come back for a sophomore year. Not anything wrong with him. I'm just talking in too many guys, too few spots, trying to make something work. Um, that's not to say – Jay Nakin's factor, I think, comes into yep. play with that as well. I really do. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, and I think, frankly, if you had to choose between Aikens and Bates, you know, the question always is would you, would you rather have one year of Bates or multiple years of um, – Akins or somebody like that, and and to me, it's um, it's always been the three or four years of of, of the top thirty kid who's going to be around. You just look at the history of winning in Michigan State. That that said, with with Bates, what makes his situation different is the possibility of two years, and of course, you choose that. I I also think though they weren't planning on him for a long time. Like I'm not saying this isn't news, 
but he he announced he was committed to Memphis when he was already enrolled at Memphis on the day they started classes. Like it was they nobody people even shouldn't have let him do that. Like in other words, we should just. I mean, usually I'm, I'm all good with letting a kid announce his own commitment. But once he was enrolled, I mean, once it was obvious, the fact that he kept listing MSU and all that just. I, mean, I don't. Yeah, I don't think anybody in the world thought MSU was still a possibility. Certainly, MSU's coaches didn't. And um, so, it, 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 why it's it's newsworthy because it ends a saga. It really isn't um, all that significant an update because nobody thought he was coming. Yeah, like you uh, said, Graham. Once once it came out that he was in the student directory. I mean, that was two days ago. It really should have just. He's probably just got to kind of come out and announce it right there. And uh, people were kind of, even there was an athletic story, everyone was just kind of beating around the bush. I was like, well, does necessarily mean he's going to Memphis yet? Yeah. Well, you know what? Yes, it definitely means it's going to Memphis. And just a quick thing on the Jay Nakins point. I mean, I would probably say once Akins left Gypsy Prep during the basketball season last year, that was probably the biggest sign in retrospect that something was going to happen and maybe this, this Bates-Michigan State thing might not have worked out because I don't know if that's going to, if those two were going to work out together at Michigan state after the separation there. Well, I think there's another interesting thing that people need to keep in mind as well. And I, and I go to my experience with hockey. Um, how many times have we seen college hockey players in the middle of a season who are in college and maybe don't necessarily enjoy the college experience all of a sudden uproot mid year or even at, on a whim, and and go play uh, major juniors in Canada. Um, I think that's a real possibility here as well. Um, you know, if if he doesn't like being at Memphis and isn't the focal point, and all of a sudden gets frustrated, he still has that G League option where he can bail and go play. And you know, that's what hockey players have done for years. And you know, I also think about the the Brandon Cotton situation at Michigan State too. I mean. He was dissatisfied and left mid-year. So, you know, this, but again, I, I don't know that that's probably projecting and, and pushing things out there, but I'm talking possibilities that are out there. But there's also that possibility, and I wrote about this with Michigan State, there's also that possibility he could play two years at Memphis if he really does enjoy it, really likes playing with Duran and, and, you know, Penny brings in some top-level guys that he's comfortable with. There's a possibility that he could say, you know what, I, I want to play two years in college instead of even going pro. So there's that's the thing about it, and this has always been the, the question with Imani Bates, is what are his options? It's, and he's got plenty of them. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, move on to a new topic, and let's talk about the Michigan State Athletic Director search. Uh, Bill Beekman resigned about uh, a month ago, I want to say at this point. Maybe it's even longer. I don't know. Time is a – we're still in the pandemic. Time is a flat circle, guys. But uh, And the timing of that could not have been more odd as we really embark on a, a new season of college sports. And now Michigan State's Athletic Director, as the Spartans uh, have their first football game and in a week from now. So, I mean, where are you kind of sizing up the situation at this point, Chris? Well, you know, I wrote the story, uh, I guess it was about a week ago now that, that a couple trustees have, and maybe half the trustees, depending on who you talk to, uh, approached Tom Izzo about filling in in an interim basis, uh, as athletic director. I mean, sports have started at Michigan state and, from what I've gathered, Bill Beekman's office has been cleaned out at 1855 place. That's not a good place to start your school year. And, you know, that's, and they're in the middle of searching for this. I mean, yeah, the timing was bad. I mean, there's no question about that. I mean, the rumblings were there back in July, which probably would have been a little better. I think Graham, you wrote about this, the time for, for this, that on a, on a normal clock would have been, you know, May after, classes ended and you go into the summer so you can have a normal search but you know a lot of ad's don't want to necessarily leave their current place if they're in the if they are at a football school a power five football school and then you worry about if the candidates are leaving why are they leaving because you know there has to be a reason to that but you know they're from what i gather they're 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 in the process of of finalizing uh candidate pools um trying to get the, the final people uh, put on a list and and figure out who that would be and, and what the interest level might be. Uh, but, yeah, it's not exactly an optimal timing standpoint. And, 
you know, but at the same point, Graham, I, I think it's interesting too, that, you know, you go into a school year, I mean, in, and I, I think I used this term before, it's kind of a rudderless ship when you don't have an athletic director in place, even in an interim capacity. I mean, Beekman can be there in title, but if his office is cleaned out, that's a visual reminder to people that we don't have a leader right now. Yeah, no, it's not ideal. The timing wasn't ideal. Uh, all of it speaks to the, the fact that this was not really Beekman's choice. Um, and, and, and really the statement initially from Stanley, the school president, said that I, I'm, you know, I'm curious about this search in a lot of ways because to me, where they wind up is very important. Obviously, you, you got to get the right person, in, and they've made a number of missteps in this job over the years at, at, at Michigan State, and it, it just sets a tone, it sets a path forward, and it's a critical time in college athletics. It's a critical time to have the right person in the job at MSU too, and you need somebody who's strong enough to deal with you know everywhere. You'd have a football and basketball coach, but you you do have you know as you a Hall of Famer, you know, and, and, um, and Tom Izzo. And, um, but I also think the search, how the search is done is nearly as important because you do not want acrimony early on. You don't want baked in acrimony based on people feel like I wasn't consulted. This isn't the guy I want. This isn't somebody who's we're on the same team. You want people to feel part of it. And, you know, that's a tricky thing when you're the president with, with powerful people, uh, who are going to be working for this person. Like Izzo is more powerful than whoever the AD is, right? I mean, that's it's the Probably reality. Sam it's a weird, too. Yeah, it's a weird structure. You know, it's it's so, right. And and, and, and that's okay. I mean, that's just the, the way it is. And, and, and frankly, Izzo would be, I think, a, a good athletic director if he only wanted to do that. Um, I That's not only what he wants to do. So I don't think it's, I don't, it is not, um, it, it's interesting that the board approached him. Um, as you reported, because um, these are two intensely full-time jobs uh, that you cannot do both well, I don't believe. Well, and and I think it's important to clarify that I don't think that he wants this on a, on a full-time basis either at the moment. I mean, this is totally. for the interim capacity. Totally. With, with, I mean, like I said, I mean, when you've got an empty office for an athletic director, that's a big, but, I mean, that's a I big visual sign. But people. when they're thinking interim, they're thinking somebody to get them through the school year, so to speak, or get them through football season, you know. Or at least the, from what I understand in, in the sources that I talked to, it was in a lot of ways to to make sure they've got the right person. Yeah. And, you know, whether that would be, I mean, you know, it, that would, you know, you hire someone by September 10th or do you hire, you know, which is the next board meeting or do you wait, you know, until October, November, whatever it's going to be and, to make sure that you've not only vetted, the candidates, but also make sure you get the people who truly are interested and can handle not just the the personalities of, pe of the people involved, because I think that's important, but also the fact that you've got an athletic department that's now in the red. you got to be able to pull them out of the pandemic debt that they're in. you got to be able to raise funds for the facilities that you you put out that, that you're in the middle of, of doing a massive overhaul. You've got to be able to appease the donors and, and people like the Matt Ishbia's and Jay Farner's and Bob Scandalaris of the world who are the ones that really financially are driving the department. And do you want someone to come in with zero experience with those people? Or do you want someone with some experience? Are there other candidates out there maybe that, that would fit? I, I think that's part of the, the reason for the interim tag for Izzo, I, don't, I, I at least personally, I don't know, but I didn't see this being a situation where he would do it for, you know, once basketball season started. I think that's a, the hope was to get someone in, in, in a little longer rather than expediting the process. And I know that the, the, the folks that I talked to said the board was uh, frustrated with the, how quickly it was moving and and as well as the, the fact that they there may not have been a, a good communication line. A couple of things. One, yeah, and, and you're right, I think. It's also not the board's job. The board has one option. The board can fire President Stanley or it should sit the hell down. I mean, that's what the board should do. But the that's but that this is a typical Michigan State going back 40 years. That's not really what a board's going to do. Because you think about the board. Think about what the board is. The board is eight-year terms of people who get voted in based on name recognition or blind ballots because one, like, one out of every 20 people vote know who any of these people are. 
So, like, the idea that being on the board makes you any sort of qualified person for anything, that drives me insane. Like, I, I don't get me wrong, I, I, I like some of these board members. I think there are a lot of qualified people on there. But just being voted on the board in itself does not make you any better than Joe Schmo. I mean, you know, it, it just, it, it's, 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 it's ridiculous. I can't tell you how many board of trustees I voted for for Wayne State that I've never heard of in my life. You know, like every year. I mean, it's, it's a ridiculous It's hyper-political. I mean, listen, I mean, a lot of those people are straight party ticket votes because because of that reason totally you know so, i mean but that's i i and you're, you're right I, but at the same point it's also hyper political because those people don't get on the ballot if the party doesn't want them well and, and but back to your point more like I, the right person's more too many organizations do this all the time they worry about timing of something and like to me it's so much more important if you're looking for an, uh, an ad for the next decade if at this point the timing wasn't great but allow your yourself to have one uncomfortable October and September to get that right person to figure out who that is. And, and with like Alan Haller, Alan Haller, I don't know if he's the right guy, but I know this, I know he is certainly, I think earned a look, a real look, a fair look, you know, and, and, and earn the interview and let the interview do the work and, and bring the other candidates in that, that, that you know, are willing to be brought in that you'd like, and again, let the interview and your research on them do the work and get the, get the absolute right person. And, I, and I, you know, because there is something at, at any school, in Michigan State especially, where knowing the players and knowing the issues and knowing what's happening matters. And Alan Haller has a step up on that. Um, but you can also get somebody who comes in and says, you know what, I, who's been really good other places, who says, you know, I've got to learn this place and I'm willing to do it and I will do it, who's got a natural charisma. Um, and an understanding of the issues and might be fantastic. You've got to let the interview process do the work. And you're right. I, I do think that the speed in which it was happening, the fact that Izzo uh, and, and Tucker and those guys hadn't really been consulted because again, you don't want them to make the hire, but they ought to be in the process. So when that hire is made, they feel like they were part of it. They feel like this person is somebody who's on their team because that if, if everybody's not moving in the same direction, you got, you got big problems. And I think you mentioned about uh, the the past 40 years. Really, it's been 50 years. I mean, yeah, I, I, I kind of went back and looked at ever since Biggie Munn died and, and had it. Well, I should say he had his stroke in 1971 and had to retire as athletic director. I mean, it's been a tumultuous ride since then. I mean, it was Burt Smith and, you know, Burt Smith is, I believe, the only Michigan grad to helm the department. And he, you know, he, along with. Denny Stoles and and uh, Gus Kanakis were fired three, you know, th- four or five years later. Um, you don't want a situation like that. And then, you know, Joe Kearney came in and smoothed the department out before he left. And then Doug Weaver had a long run and then began the real tumultuous stuff with with the Perlis situation where he was elevated to athletic director and then stripped of that. And then you had and I think this is really where the history lesson comes in. And I think a lot of people are very cognizant of they don't want a situation like when John G. Biagio appointed Marilee Dean Baker and then left a week later, yeah. left the school as, as university president. Um, that's something that, you know, right or wrong, Stan, Sam Stanley has to understand. I mean, that's the university's history and the people in, in, in play. A lot of them live through that. Um, and there's, there's a sense, too, with him that he's not in this maybe for the long haul. So. And if, if that's, you know, and I'm not saying he won't find his sea legs and he won't be here, you know, at, at MSU for a decade. But, like, I, you know, yeah, you're right. And if I were an AD, too, and I didn't want this as a football coach, if, if I'm coming in as an AD, part of my contract is because you want to know who you're working for. Right. If, if Sam Stanley hires me and he leaves, that's two extra years on the deal that automatically rolls in, baked in. If I was Mel Tucker, when you had all that leverage, I would have said, Bill Beekman leaves and the hire is external or whatever. It's two extra years on the contract. And he had the leverage, in, frankly, in February of 2020 to pull that off. Like, like that. if I was a coach, because what happens so much with administrators is they come in and they want their own people or something doesn't fit. I would want some real extra, um, extra assurance that, that – that, now, now Tucker's in year two of six, so he's you know it's not like it's not like any AD who comes in is looking to make a move, right? There's no in terms of your top two tiered programs. Um, 
And I think that's that's the other thing that Michigan State has going for it in terms of, you know, we talk about the timeline and it not being ideal, not having that position. There are a lot of other things an AD does. You can't just say, oh, they don't have to hire a football or basketball coach. They're okay. But at least you're not in a position where you're evaluating those two programs in the near term for a change and needing to get the person in to think through that. And that, that I think, is, is, is helpful. Although, if, let's say, someone like Heather Like, uh, who's at Pitt and who was at Eastern Michigan, she's a Michigan alum, let's say she's in the, in the mix. Um, you've got a pre-existing relationship with Pat Narduzzi at Pitt. Pat Narduzzi really wanted the job at Michigan State. Now, all of a sudden, if you're Mel Tucker, you know those things. I mean, I, I, I abide by the theory that if, Graham and I know these things and and understand the ramifications. You better believe the people in in those those positions and in that that world daily. Um, you know, in in the athletic administration and coaching world, they know and understand that as well. So now now all of a sudden, if you bring in someone like a Heather like, you've got Mel Tucker looking over his shoulder and wondering, is she going to fire me and and bring in Pat Narduzzi? So, you know, there's there's certainly a lot of things, and it, and I think back to the Sam Stanley situation, a lot of the same things that we talked about with the athletic director, the politics, the people and everything else uh, that comes into play in the president role, especially um, because you are daily dealing with the the board and the, the pol- the politicians involved in this. And you didn't really have that at Stony Brook. So that, you know, that's certainly, you know, and, and if you hadn't done your due diligence as to what that was like and hadn't done the the, the hit deep dive background on the history of what Michigan State is and its history with presidents and athletic directors and and political parties and backbiting and all that, then, you know, you set yourself up to the to, for the turbulence. One, one of the hard things with a president is there are a couple different ways to go when you're hiring a president. You can hire an academic or you can hire somebody more with a business background and. And and at Stony Brook or Albion or wherever the academic makes a ton of sense. Yep. Um, you know, at a Big Ten university though, where there's so many components and so many things, sometimes having a really strong provost would be the better way to go, and uh, more of a business per, uh, with an academic background and, and, a, and a business person in the presidency. And again, I'm not saying that. Sam Stanley can't get the job done and, and people grow into jobs. This is a big job and, and he ought to be allowed to grow into it. Uh, my sense is now that he has spoken to Izzo and he has been a little more communicative. And if it was a real hiccup and he, he, he ought to be, look, first of all, it's his hire to make. If you're the board, you hired him and, you know, and, and, but hopefully he sort of realizes that, you know, he's got to, you know, he, he'd be wise to, uh, to include a lot of different important people who, frankly, you'd be wise to include. It's not even just not to hurt their feelings. I mean, Tom Izzo has been through eight athletic directors and seven presidents at that university yeah. in 38 years. If, if you don't tap into that knowledge, you're a fool like that. You don't have to let Izzo make the hire, but I'd want to hear what he had to say. I'd want to hear what the missteps were, what the what people he thought really fit there, what what place people he thought were good over time and what characteristics they had and all that stuff. You, you, you should want that information and you should be strong enough at the end of the day, even if, if Izzo wants a certain person and you feel strongly some other way to then make the decision yourself. Let's move on to actual events on the field. And uh, as I said, at the beginning of the podcast, we are, we are recording on Thursday morning. We are eight days away from the Spartans home opener versus Northwestern. And at this point road opener that, did I say home opener? Yeah. Well, I meant to say season opener, but you, you get you get it. Yeah. You know what I mean. But, uh, yeah, and at this point, a quarterback, starting quarterback has not been named at this point. So I want to start with the quarterback situation. Grant, what is your, your sense of how the quarterback job is going to shake out uh, by the time Friday night rolls around? Why can't Chris be wrong on this instead of me? Um, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah. so, you know, it, it's it's fascinating because I have thought all along that Russo was probably the guy to beat, right? And then the the leading candidate, and not Russo. Sorry, did I say Russo? Uh, this is like Phil with. Sorry, uh, I I started everything with the saying home opener, and now it's just gone yeah, to crap. Yeah, you Why don't we just start this whole thing, this whole nah. segment over? Now no, let's just start. The, we're, we're good. Go ahead. Let's start this whole, okay. whole segment over. We're keeping it. Go ahead, Graham. Keeping it. All right. All right. So I have always thought that Thorne was the more likely guy there, the, 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 um, the guy to beat. 
Um, and I still, I guess, lean that way slightly out of just gut, out of having seen nothing or very little that suggests otherwise. I will say in that open practice on Monday, you know, there were, you know, they put Russo out there with the with the first unit to start the second half, which was the beginning of the full team periods, and he connected on a couple outstanding deep balls and 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 looked good. Um, that said, you know who else looked great on deep balls? Rocky Lombardi. Like that's not the position necessarily. And, and who, the best quarterback in that practice was often the guy who had Naylor and Reed as the receivers. Those two look like they're at a little bit of another level, and that's good news for Michigan State if they can those two can stay healthy. So. Uh, I still lean Thorn, um, but uh, I have, you know, from, certainly I think, you know, Chris can talk to this. We've had discussions among reporters that, and there are different people feel different ways among our uh, colleagues. And if you talk to people who, not so much even uh, the coaching staff, but are closer to it maybe uh, than us, they think it's really close. There are people at times I've said, or I've talked to that think they, the coaches weren't 100% sure um, that the job could still be won one way or another. And, and so I, you know, I, I, it's very possible by now they've made a decision. Uh, but I, you know, I, I was, I wouldn't bet either way, but if I had to, uh, pick, I'd say, um, Thorne. I, I, I think one thing, first of all, I agree with a lot of Graham points, but that, which frightens me. Um, <laughs> but at the same point, I think I've kind of flipped a little bit more, Toward Russo for this wow. opener against Northwestern for, you know, I think they are close. I think that what we saw on Monday and what we've seen in the little blip, bit blips and, and glimmers of practice that we've been able to, to watch, um, you know, they seem pretty equal. Um, one thing that we didn't see on Monday was interceptions. And while that looked good, I mean, I think that, and I asked Mel Tucker about the ball security in particular at quarterback because both Russo and uh, Thorne last year and, and Russo historically have a penchant for throwing interceptions. And, you know, he said it, it could be better, you know, and so that's something to keep in mind. I mean, we didn't see any Monday, but who's throwing more interceptions in practice because, because of the hype videos. And this is the interesting thing about hype videos, because I absolutely detest them in terms of making you feel like you know exactly what you're seeing particularly after people were saying, well, why are you showing a clip of receivers dropping balls? Well, first of all, it was the best quality clip I had plays coming towards me uh, at practice. But secondly, that's reality. That's what practice is. You know, I mean, it's not like everybody is making these highlight catches that you see in these hype videos all the time. There are drops. There are missed assignments. If you sit and watch hype videos, you think every team's going to be a national champion. But that's one thing that we did see in the hype videos is a lot of a lot of video footage of picks being made. Tate Halleck and Michael Dahl in particular. Um, so that tells me someone on the other end is throwing them. Is you it? never see the quarterback. <laughs> no, you never see the quarterback. Surprisingly, they edit that out. I don't understand that. But at the same point, you know, you also understand that, you know, Michael Dahl's kind of running with the ones and Tate Halleck's running with the twos. And, you know, but we don't know. Is it Russo? Is it? Thorne? Is it Kim? Is it Hamp Faye? Is it Andrew Shorefar? Is it Zach Gillespie? We don't know who's throwing the ball, um, but there are picks being had. And, you know, when Mel Tucker says that, you know, it could be better, you know, that's ultimately what decides it to me. And I know we've talked about this on top of that. I think the other component is the offensive line. If you've got an offensive line that, and, and that's another thing that we've seen in those quote-unquote hype videos, is there have been breakdowns in the offensive line where both, I think both Thorne and Russo have been tag-sacked, um, you know, and I think Atavian Brown had one in it. Again, I don't take much and put much stock in that, but little glimpses like that, beyond you know, beyond the great play that you see on defense, there's also a breakdown on the other side that causes that. So if if you're in a situation where you have to have a quarterback on the move, and, you know, when I think when Peyton Thorne in, on Monday in that open practice was behind the number two offensive line, he had to get out and move a lot. Uh, when he and Russo were behind the number one offensive line, the offensive line seemed pretty solid. And it, I think the offensive line is pretty well set right now, although I still don't know 
exactly where the Samak and, and Matt Allen battle is at center. Um, but you know, if, if you need a, if you, if you think that you aren't going to be great on the edge and you're going to have a lot more pressure, you probably want a guy like Thorne who, who's got better escapability and Russo's more of a traditional pocket passer with a little bit of footwork. So basically this is a long and short way of saying we have no idea until they make a decision because unless they announce it, because, and, and again, you know, I think I'm leaning towards Russo because you've got a conference game right away and you've got a guy with a, a plethora of starting experience somewhere. And the thought is who are you going to, if you have to pull, pull a guy and, and affect confidence, is it the older guy or the younger guy that you're going to want to do that with? Um, and the, I, I really think that the better thing to watch to me, and I've said this kind of a, a little ways the past few months, the Youngstown State game to me is the one where you see exactly where they're at because, you know, the, they'll probably get a better chance to play multiple guys in that game. Um, you know, you'll be able to see who starts. That's the preseason. That's the quote unquote preseason game. This is a this is a game towards the Big Ten. And I, I you know, I don't know. I, I think after seeing how close they are, I wouldn't be shocked to see them go the more experienced route because of that reason. And then at the same point, that doesn't necessarily mean game two, three, and four are going to be the same guy. To counter the point a little bit, the one thing I think the Northwestern game does do is it does maybe only one quarterback, but more than usual openers, it does show you exactly where you're at. Like yeah. Northwestern is the beauty of opening against Northwestern. And I think this is significant. Like I hate as a rule, I hate conference games as openers because I think it's an unnatural crescendo to the season to go from a conference game to a game that means less. Um, but I, I, Northwestern is pretty stable. Like in their bad years and good years, their talent is still pretty middling. They're, um, you know, they're, they're, they're they lost a lot this year. They're, they are, they're, they're a competitive program though. You're not, you're not going to have the Minnesota Michigan experience of last year. In other words, or you think you see one the red herring and it turns out that Minnesota's just got awful. Right. So uh, I, I think that, Michigan State for a team of 15 transfers and all this stuff and all these, and, and, you know, maybe 10 newcomers and big roles or whatever. I, I do think th that game provides a, a real look to your point though. I, I agree with that, Chris, the idea that if you're going to, if there's an order of, of guys in terms of, you know, replacing and going in one direction or another, you give the guy a transferred in. If it's even the shot, the older guy. Um, and if you're going to pull a guy, you don't want it to be Thorne. Um, you, you'd rather, you'd much rather, especially after he spent all this time competing for the job. If you pull Thorne after he competes for the job and it winds up being Russo's team all year, I'm not sure you get Thorne back a year from now. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I would, you know, I don't know where Thorne's head is, but and, and he can't be thinking that way. He's competing for the job, so I do agree with that. That if you, if, but, but I also don't know that as a coaching staff, you can think that way. You really have to look at it like, who's the best quarterback here? And to Chris's point. Who's taking care of the offense? Who's the better? Uh, who's who's not throwing the interceptions? Yeah, but in every open practice or every time we've had a glimpse into it, it hasn't been Thorne who has been the first quarterback out there. It, it seems like uh, that seems to be an indication of some things, right? Or or, or not at all? Yeah, to me, it's an indication that they know that we're there watching. So that's that's I I think that it I think coaches know. I mean, hell, they make the announcements. Media, you may not, you may watch periods three, four, and five. Media, you must leave now. And you know, I mean, we're wearing these, these, you know, instead of a scarlet letter, it's the magenta letter I call it because it's this sticker that lets you know, look out, that guy's a media member. So that guy's you know, awful. He's here to ruin you. <laughs> yeah, they're they're cognizant of that, you know. So you know, and I think that you know there were the one thing that Mel Tucker said. Uh, Sometime, I think, in December, it may have been before the season ended, um, nothing is done in his program without intent. I, that stuck with me quite a lot over the last few months from the transfer portal to everything else that we've seen in terms of hype videos, in terms of graphic releases, whatever you want to 
a lot of things that they've done has been done with intent, which I think is good. And I, I think that that holds true for anytime something is open, whether it be the open practice back in April, whether it be the open practice on Monday, whether it be the, the three practices that we've seen 15 minutes of practice and, and exactly what we've seen in practice, because there was a little bit of a surprise that we were seeing some 11 on 11 stuff uh, one day from the media members, but there's a reason they did it. They, there's a reason, you know, some of it's to give us a better gauge of where they're at, but some of it is to kind of say, this is, uh, you know, we're, we're putting the number one offense here against the threes and fours on defense. And, you know, you, you do see that. So you, you also have to be keenly aware of, of, of when you have the eye test, what exactly are you watching against what with, with these? And, with and the last thing I want to say on the quarterbacks thing is, you know, if you look at Monday's scrimmage, and there were three to me, like three really impressive throws, right, and catches. There are the two deep balls from Russo to uh, Naylor and, and uh, Reed. And then there's the ball that, um, that, that Thorne threw over the head of the defender, 25 yards downfield on a dime to a leaping Reed, who, who makes a great catch, but it's a great throw. That, to Good me, is the harder, more, that's the more impressive throw. Like the deep balls, lots of guys can throw a deep ball. And don't get me wrong, they were good deep balls. But we've seen that. Like, to me, the 25-yard the throw against coverage. And, and, and also, what, what frustrated Tucker so much last year was that they couldn't convert third and fours. They couldn't get that seven-yard throw on those sort of plays. It just killed drive after drive. The, the underneath stuff was really Rocky Lombardi's downfall. And, again, Peyton Thorne at certain points wasn't up to the snuff either. Otherwise, you don't bring in Anthony Russo. They didn't think they had, or maybe they would have brought in a transfer anyway because they need somebody to compete with. But I, I am also curious, what we have not seen a lot of is who's making the throws in those key situations and scrimmages and practices when they're doing third downs, who's making the seven yard out and getting it there. The throw that you have to make as a quarterback to, to keep an offense going. Well, you you say about the third and four, they couldn't make third and one, third and two, fourth right. and one, fourth and two. Um, that, that was a big problem, uh, all the way around, not just, not just the, the quarterback. I mean, I think that goes into play with the running back battle as well. And the offensive line, I mean, you've got to be able to get those short yardage situations. So you aren't third and four or third and seven, right? I mean, you know, you, they, they have struggled on offense to convert. Um, and you know, it's been three years now, uh, of, of since they had a, a, serviceable running game and it's been dwindling since so i mean that's a priority with the so because we, we focus and fixate so much on the quarterback situation that you know you look at the running back battle i'm i'm equally unclear with that because they've shuffled guys around i mean i would imagine that kenneth walker seems to be the guy who's got the most complete abilities uh from what we saw in the spring and a little bit this fall but then we see him working with the third unit right so i mean that's you know, and then Elijah Collins working with the ones and, you know, Jordan Simmons bouncing around and Harold Joyner and Donovan Eaglin and moving Connor Hayward to tight end. I mean, you know, there's a lot of shell games, I think, going on with this that, you know, to me, I think is brilliant strategically because you don't want to give Pat Fitzgerald a, a, an idea of what your actual depth chart is. I mean, when you have so many different guys, you want to try and mix them and move them around. So, so if you have something open to us, as I was saying, with the intent factor, um, the video gets out from that and you don't know who is the number one defense. You don't know who the number one running back is. So, you know, I think that's uh, that's to me been, you know, an interesting facet of, of Tucker's Tucker's uh, regime so far. Um, I, I think that they've they did a pretty good job of what was open uh, mixing things up to to keep things looking muddled, but listen, coaches know by now who's who's going to be the guy up at the one, um, at, at particularly this close to a, a game, and if they've already started and turned their their prep toward Northwestern uh, this week with a full prep week next week, I think they have a pretty good idea, and we'll probably find out soon. It would be wild to see 
And I kind of want to see Mel Tucker do this. Just put Connor Hayward in <laughs> running back for the first play of the game and just really kind of mess with everybody's mind there. That's the album move. Put Connor Hayward at Wildcat as the starting quarterback. <laughs> yes. I, you've, you've beat me, Chris. Even even better You're idea. Welcome. I, maybe I've blown <laughs> Jay Johnson's uh, big surprise. I think I think you want you want Hayward on if, if you want Hayward on a on a jet sweep just to have people their minds. Oh no, wild to the jet sweep. To the short Direct snap to the short and side. then a jet sweep. I mean, that is the ultimate troll job for Michigan State fans right there. And then third and one up the middle four straight times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I mean, we've haven't seen that much of of Kenneth Walker, but man, that dude is uh that it, he looks good in the photos. That's good that's good enough for me at this point considering what we've seen from the Michigan State running backs the past few years. Yeah, and I mean, they've got a variety of different styles, I think, too. I mean, you know, a lot of what we've seen with Harold Joyner um, in the limited glimpses we've seen, uh, they've used him in the out of the backfield in the passing game. He's got good hands. He's got tremendous size at 6'4 for a running back. I mean, you don't re- – re- and he said, I believe both Scarborough and Derrick Henry are guys that he looked to emulate because, I mean, how many other guys do you have that are 6'4"? You know, what was Eric Dickerson, like 6'3"? I mean, it's it's a rarity to see a running back that big. But, you know, I, I think that, that Collins is going to be a, an interesting wild card health-wise. I mean, he he showed the talent to run for nearly 1,000 yards in the Big Ten uh, behind a banged-up offensive line that I think we need to keep in mind. So he's he's got talent. And, you know, then, you know, Simmons last year showed flashes. Um, but I think also – you know, the one thing to keep in mind about Simmons is that he didn't redshirt last year. So he's still got that. He's still got five years if he wanted to. He could take a redshirt this year. And, you know, that I don't think that would count against his eligibility clock because he because of the way the, the COVID year is, he'll get the extra year anyway. So uh, that said, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of running backs there, too. So it's a. Yeah, and I like Simmons a lot, as you brought up. I think he's the best at putting his foot in the ground and going in some ways. And and I think that, um, you know, Walker has just looked like a different level dude. Yeah. And Collins part of the mix. I do think that, um, you know, there. I, I do think it's those three that you're going to see the most of. And I think you'll see planned carries for all three in the opener. Um, and they'll let it sort of unfold. And, and really the question for me will become, you know, in 2015, you remember when L.J. Scott was their finishing back? Like, that's how you knew they had Madre London and Gerald Holmes, but you knew who their best back was because in the fourth quarter, when they had to salt away games, that was the dude who was in. So that's who I'm kind of looking forward to seeing, too. Who, who do they have in games? Yeah. And Northwestern is probably going to be a game that's close enough that we'll see where they're who they trust most and who they think can get the job done at the end. And, and I think, you know, going back to the quarterback situation, to flip the other side, um, that pass from Thorne to Jaden Reed, uh, I thought Chester Kimbrough was in good coverage. So that's that's still a situation that I think is fluid on the corner. And they're gonna, and that's a different situation than the other spots because when you play a 4-2-5 or if you're going to play some dime coverage, you're going to need a lot of guys to play and a lot of defensive backs to play in varied roles. So, I mean, you know, you've got – and I thought Kalen Gervin got – got burned on on uh one of those deep russo passes so you know charles brantley was running with the first unit at cornerback and you know i think that ronald williams adds a factor so i mean i'm not i think the competition for playing time is interesting at at corner and in safety but and in the nickel spot but i also don't think it's it's uh, a thing that matters all that much because they're going to play a lot of guys uh, because of the way their defense is constructed. The linebacker spot, though, that's that's really interesting because they were certainly shuffling guys around. I mean, your number one linebackers were Cal Halliday and and Quiveris Crouch, and Noah Harvey was op- repping with the third unit, the a, a returning starter. So, what does that mean? I mean, I guess we'll see in eight days at Northwestern. Yeah, does that eight and a half days seeing as how late it is. Does that mean Harvey is serving like an unspecified team? Uh, he broke some unspecified team rule and he might be out for the first game, or has he been bumped off the depth chart by, by those two guys? I mean, I, I love, I loved, I know that's what I'm saying. It could be anything. I, I loved Holiday coming out of high school, so I'm excited to see kind of to apparently see him in the mix there at, at linebacker. 
Is there any other positions or Michigan State football talk do you guys kind of want to cover? We'll kind of go more in depth for each position next year. But uh, if you guys got any takes, you want to. We're not waiting a year. Next year. Next. next, I'm just so excited. A year, week, months, whatever. Uh, Yeah. Do you guys have anything else you wanted to kind of get out there? No, I I mean, you know, I think this is a good, good broad look at things. And and, and hopefully by, you know, as we start to preview Northwestern and look at things, we'll have some answers to quarterback. You know, I mean, I look, I think it's a, it's a, it's a fascinating team that, that we really don't know what they're going to look like, but I think they have a chance, at least they're starting 22. I mean, there's depth a few places. We know there's depth at running back, obviously quarterback, there may not be much difference, but I think they're starting 22 has a chance to be pretty good. Um, in some years you can stay healthy enough that that's okay. And other years you can't. <laughs> and so like, uh, this is one of those teams. That, that I, I do wonder in certain places how much the drop off in depth would would really affect. But early on, I think you know I think they could they they, they if they're healthy they ought to be a, a competitive side. And I, you know and we'll talk about the Northwestern game next week. But I don't buy Northwestern as a favorite. And frankly, neither do the betters because the line has moved from six to like three. Basically, uh, it's it's practically a home it, or it's a practically a neutral site game against a team with a lot of offensive questions. And a team whose talent level is never actually that much better than MSU. Uh, we saw MSU beat them last year, and so I, I, it, it's, it, it should be, a, it should be a, a, a telling first week. But um, you know, so I, I certainly think Michigan State is a good chance. Well, and I think the other thing, kind of big picture with this, you know, it is a year, like you said, that we don't know what to expect from this team because there are so many new pieces. But I think the the larger scope is there are going to be a lot of people watching this nationally. A lot of coaches, a lot of personnel people within football buildings are going to be watching this because this is going to be, I mean, with the transfer portal being wide open with immediate eligibility, this will be used as a test case. Can this be done at this high, this broad a scope to have essentially, you know, nearly a half roster turned over? Is it? I mean, if it doesn't work, you'll see teams shy away from it. If it does work, I think this will become a lot more of the norm in college football. And, I mean, we're basically on our way to free agency. So it, it there's going to be a lot of eyes on Michigan State uh, one way or another within the industry. Uh, you know, and it, it'll be interesting to see if they do start generating a buzz and winning some games and, and surpassing those expectations how quickly other programs start to say, you know what, we're going to take that model and broom some guys and bring a lot of guys in to have a reset. All right. Well, that feels like a great place to wrap things up for today. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Today Network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freep.com, and on Twitter at Graham underscore couch, Chris Solar, at Phil underscore friend, and LSJ Green White. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of... Uh human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.